You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me this for, for this episode of Gators Breakdown is co-host and founder of ReadAndReaction.com. That's Will Miles, and you can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. So, Will, it's time to uh, kick off this uh, our, our opponent previews for the season. You know, last episode we kind of just laid it all out. You know, not so much Charleston Southern, but from here on out, minus the Idaho game, uh, we'll get uh, the Gators breakdown listeners for, uh, for for all the opponents Florida will face in this 2018 season. Hey, man, football, football, football! Can't get, <laughs> can't wait to get started. Absolutely, absolutely. So remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jacks sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, listen on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube if you want the video version, and follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, we'll, uh, like I said, kick it off to with Kentucky. Game two of the season, Florida's first in-conference game, first SEC game. And, uh, of course, we all remember the the uh, game Florida probably shouldn't have won last year. <laughs> and uh, Kentucky hasn't beaten Florida since all the way back in 1986, 10-3. That's been it. You know, finding ways to lose over and over again for the last 31 years. Uh, Kentucky last year, leaving the Florida wide receivers inexplicably wide open twice. Uh, but this is the one East opponent Dan Mullen knows very well. As Kentucky uh, is Mississippi State's permanent crossover opponent in the in, in the conference. So you know Mullen went eight and one versus his, uh, versus Kentucky in his time there with an average score of thirty four to twenty one Mississippi State uh, in that time span from two thousand nine to two thousand seventeen. Florida was not a no. This is Florida, Kentucky, so of course not a no with an average score of thirty-six to twelve. So kind of, kind of, you know, in a way, as far as the offense goes, very similar uh, when both teams played Kentucky ever since Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure I'd categorize the Gators' win last year as lucky. I mean, whenever you leave the wide receiver uncovered <laughs> twice, I mean, yes, that is uh, that is Florida taking advantage of a breakdown in Kentucky's defensive schemes. But that's sort of the um, 
know, that's sort of representative, I guess, of, of what bad teams do, right? So mm-hmm. bad teams tend to leave guys uncovered, tend to let guys run free, roam free down the field. And last year, the offense, especially after Del Rio came in, actually pr- played pretty well. It was a defense that struggled in that game. And really, that was sort of the story of the year for Florida um, in, in terms of the defensive play. But, uh, um, you know, certainly Mullen is familiar with Kentucky, and and so this isn't going to be new. He he also is familiar with beating Kentucky when he was at Florida before he went to Mississippi State. So you know he's got that one loss on the board. So we're going to have to hold that against him because because uh, <laughs> there's not a whole lot bad to look at for either one of those for either one of those teams. And I think you know when you look at just the overall recruiting of both schools. The expectation is that Florida should beat Kentucky, both from a talent standpoint, but also just from a historical standpoint. You know, Kentucky's a basketball school. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're a basketball school. And, uh, you know, they do have Florida in their sights just about every year is the one that they circle on the calendar. But uh, but the Gators should win that game based on the players that they have on the field. Yeah, well, so, you know, did mention Mullen very familiar uh, with Kentucky, but it is game two of Dan Mullen coming over to Florida. You know, still be trying to figure out uh, who works where and trying to work the kinks out on offense and defense, probably. Uh, but you know that hasn't stopped past Florida coaches from coming in in year one and, and being able to beat Kentucky uh, and not losing since 1986. So, you know, does is it somewhat of a trap game just because it's game two? Uh, it's Mullen's first big game. Uh, and, you know, Kentucky's probably a little more, you know, with Stoops being there, a little further along of, you know, they're not trying to figure things out, not necessarily as far as a, a new head coach coming in. But that's, this is where I kind of think Mullins being at Mississippi State and being the crossover across, you know, cross-division uh, opponent, this every he's very familiar with. So I don't necessarily look at this as such as a, a, a trap game as it could be. No, and it's not as if Kentucky runs a triple option like Georgia Tech or anything like that. I mean, it's a pretty standard, pretty standard spread offense. And so, you know, we're not. In a, it's nothing that Florida won't have seen. It's nothing that Florida won't recognize. And and really, I think that when you look at where Florida was last year from a strength and conditioning perspective, and where they should be coming into this year, there's no reason that they shouldn't dominate a game at home against Kentucky. Um, trap games, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this last year. I, I kind of think that trap games are more when you get beat up than you come out the next week and you don't play quite as well. Usually it's against a lesser opponent because you don't normally have two really, really high-level opponents um, right next to each other. But, you know, we sort of saw that last year with with Georgia and Auburn. Georgia came in and got beat by Auburn because they were coming off some tougher games. So, um, you know, I, I think in the second game of the year, the team should still be jacked. Um, granted the home opener is a week before, but at the same time, it's not, it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. cupcake. It's not like it's Michigan this year. And so Kentucky is really sort of the first test for Mullen. And if he can't get his guys up in the second game, we got bigger problems (laughs) than, than what's coming up on the schedule. Yeah. And of course it's already been announced. It's a night game. So uh, it will be a SEC home opener for Dan Mullen in a, in a night game at the swamp. So, but talking about Kentucky returning starters, you know, 15 altogether, um, but just speaking on uh, offense and defense, they have eight on offense, nine on defense. Um, so it's really, really starts at quarterback, and they have a lot of work <laughs> to, to do there. Steven Johnson, uh, the, uh, the main guy for the uh, last few years, makes him play with his legs uh, and his arm, but he's no longer there. Uh, Drew Barker was also there. We remember seeing both of these guys a lot You know, when they would play Florida. Uh, we saw both of those guys the last couple of years. He's done. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, after spring practice, they 
much like Florida, still have questions uh, at quarterback. They don't have uh, a starter in mind uh, just yet. Oregon transfer Terry Wilson makes plays with his legs, uh, but uh, and you'll get to some stats here. The passing abilities leave a leave a lot to be desired there. Uh, and Gunnar Hoke is kind of the more pocket passer guy, 6'4", 206 pounds, a really nice arm. Uh, but, you know, we'll see uh, where it goes. Will they want a guy who can try and create with his legs or will they want somebody who can stand in the pocket strong and make plays with his arm? Yeah, I, I think we need to go back to last year first off and say, okay, so Kentucky went seven and six, but they profiled more like a five or a six win team. So they actually got outscored for the year. <laughs> and and so they were pretty fortunate to be seven and six last year. And really, when you look at some of the underlying statistics, um, you know, it, it's – and considering that the miracle for Florida to win in Lexington last season, they're really probably more of a five and seven team rather than a seven six team, seven and six team. And that's with Steven Johnson at quarterback. And as you mentioned, now they've got either Terry Wilson or Gunnar Hoke coming in. And Wilson completed, you know, everybody knows how much I enjoy looking at high school numbers, trying to project what these guys are going to do. And I actually think completion percentage is a place that you can look and, and see the translation. So Wilson completed 47.1% of his passes in high school, according to Max Preps, and he completed only 40.9% his senior year. So he went down from 50% to 40.9%. You know, not a whole lot of attempts that are listed there. um, So maybe that's not an accurate representation of what he does. But again, that's something that you'd need to look at. If you look at Gunnar Hoke, he completed 67.8% of his passes with 261 attempts in 2014. So about 9.9 yards per attempt, which is lower than what you would want for an elite, elite quarterback. It's more like the profile of what we saw for somebody like Luke Del Rio. So he completed about 70% of his passes in high school, but was in that eight or nine yards per attempt range. And so I think that's kind of what you're looking at with Gunnar Hoke is that's probably about what you would think that you'd get from him. And Terry Wilson is going to have to make up some of the uh, some of the shortcomings with his arm by using his legs. Yeah, and of course, um, we really know they have a, a beast at, at running back, and that's pretty much all they have on offense. That's a proven consistent uh, threat and that's running back Benny Benny Snell, star of the offense, and the, and the ground game is going with with him. Um, and and they had the ground game; it was just okay, even with a running quarterback uh, with Johnson. Uh, but you know, Snell probably get another thousand. He'll probably be another thousand yard back again this year. Have another two guys, Seam Rose, um, a little bit of flash, but you know, like I said, not much behind Snell. So this is an offense, much like I think you know a lot like Florida uh, again in a way is. They're going to lean on a running back. They don't. They're nowhere near as deep at Florida at, at running back. So Snell will get a big time bulk of the carries. But you know, much like Florida's offense, it's going to be focused on the run. Defenses will know it's coming. You'll just have to stop it. Yeah, well, this is one of the places where I think Kentucky does have a considerable strength. So if you look at if you look at their offensive line, they've got Drake Jackson at center, who's a sophomore, but then they've got Gervontius Stallings, Logan Sternberg, and George Asafo Ajay, who are all seniors, and then Landon Young at left tackle, who's a junior. And so, you know, they're those are two four stars and then three three stars on the offensive line. And you combine that with Snell and his ability, and you can see why they might be able to run the ball, particularly when you think about last year. They were they were pretty successful um, knocking Florida back in that game up in Lexington. Now, can they do that in Gainesville where you got noise, a brand new quarterback, second game of the year? Um, you know, that's still to be seen. But the one thing I will say is that, you know, what you said about nobody being behind Snell is really going to matter in the fifth, sixth, seventh game of the year but he's not going to be nicked up coming into that second game against Florida. And so, uh, 
you know, that that's one of the things that we need to take into consideration is that Kentucky likely will be healthy. And so depth won't be as big of an issue. And so, um, you know, that offensive line and the experience that they have in the offensive line, along with the experience of what they did last year, I think is a place where Kentucky can sort of hang their hat and say, hey, we did this last year. This is what we should be able to do this year. Yeah, and, and now you, you try to look at the offense as a whole package, and we've mentioned quarterbacks, and they're still trying to figure that out, a weapon at running back. But if you go to receiver, they don't have a lot there either, and, and not a lot proven. And, um, you know, with Johnson at quarterback a lot, you know, the receivers weren't getting a ton of targets uh, anyway. The leading receiver, uh, Garrett Johnson, and four of the top receivers are gone. So, they, you know, the playmaking ability there is really in question. Taven Richardson – um, is, a, is their leading returner at, at receiver, uh, and they have tight end C.J. Conrad as well. But just talking about wide receiver, you know, the passing, passing game really needs some weapons to emerge and only have one touchdown from the rideouts, and that's from Richardson return. So only one guy at the wide receiver position who has caught a touchdown pass. Uh, so you know, another, you know, you get a Dorian Baker uh, who missed all of last year with an ankle problem. He'll help, but – there's really not a lot. So when we look at Snell and not a lot behind running back uh, behind him, and then you go to receiver where only one guy who has any type of production returns. This is one of the main reasons that I picked Kentucky to finish dead last in the SEC East was I just don't see a whole lot on offense. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got four-star tight end C.J. Conrad, and I think he's somebody that that they relied on last year, and and did make did make some of Florida's linebackers look kind of <laughs> foolish last year in that game. Um, Lynn Bowden is a pretty high-rated four-star wide receiver as well. But you mentioned Baker, you mentioned Richardson, and you mentioned just sort of a lack of production. Though you could make the argument about some of the players that, that get touted on some other teams, Florida included. You know, yeah, you look at right. it, and you say, hey, these guys are really, really high-quality players but there hasn't been a whole lot of production on the field. Um, in this case, though, you are right to point out that both the wide receivers and the quarterback have, have a lack of production. And so that's really where you would start to pick that an offense would struggle. Um, you know, last year they weren't too bad, 332 points for. Um, so, you know, not terrible, but they weren't an elite offense by any means. And so losing the quarterback and losing those wide receivers, you would expect them to take a step back. And considering that the defense was pretty bad last year, um, you know, yeah, it's going to be a struggle for them, I would imagine. Yeah, and I've, and I've always been a proponent of Stoops, too, not really bringing a strong defense uh, to Kentucky. So that's why I think they're going to have to score some points. And, um, you know, they, they, they can get timely scoring at times, and that's how they were able to, to put some – uh, you know, to some wins together last year. But, you know, with the lack of a passing game and and no explosion from skill spots, you know, last year, you know, they hung 40 up on Missouri and 44 on Vanderbilt, but not enough of those performances uh, that we've come to see, you know, from offenses that, that can consistently get it done. You know, so if you go back to 2016, the offense wasn't great, but it did score 35 more points, uh, 35 points or more seven times. But last year, uh, those two games where I mentioned they scored 40 and 44 against uh, uh, Missouri and, and Vanderbilt, that were it. That was it. So over the last seven years, Kentucky is 14 and two when they scored 35 or more points. So there is a key stat there where if they can, I mean, and a lot of teams could probably speak that. You get 35 points, you're going to win a lot of games. But in particular, Kentucky, because as I said, their Stoops hasn't been able to bring a defense where I've been. That, that we expect to see from when he was hired. We expected to see some tougher defenses at Kentucky, and they've recruited better under him as well. But I've yet to see a, a defense where I'm just really, really impressed with what they're doing. So I, they're, they're going to have to score points. 
Yeah, well, I mean, so if you look if you look overall at Kentucky's, um, you know, recruits for their starting uh, for their starting twenty two, it's an eighty seven point one rating at twenty four seven, and eighty seven point zero for the defensive line, and those are the two areas I really tend to look at is the overall talent, and then the talent on the defensive line, and then you look at the quarterback, and so in all of those places they are behind Florida. So Florida's at ninety one point three overall, ninety one point eight on the defensive line, so really four percentage points higher than Kentucky, and you figure that the quarterback position at Florida, I mean, this is one of the, one of the times where we can say we're not definitively worse than the opponent. <laughs> and so, um, you know, but Florida's got some work to do. I mean, you know, four and seven was not an accident last year for the Gators and they're going to have to, you know, I think everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong, but at the same time, you're a four and seven team. So to take anybody for granted, I think is a mistake, um, particularly with some of the struggles on defense last year. So, you know, we'll see. I, I think, um, I think the, Having Kentucky first is is or having them second after the cupcake game is a uh, you know is is a positive thing for Florida because it's a way to build momentum. If you remember a couple of years ago when Luke Del Rio really let it loose in the swamp against Kentucky and it was sort of an avalanche. They hit the one long pass to Callaway and then you know Kentucky just couldn't get it couldn't get its bearings. And I think the same thing could happen in the swamp this time, um, especially with a quarterback who's making his first first road start and that's where he's making his first road start and that's gonna be a difficult ask for whoever's the quarterback at kentucky yeah kind of looking at some of the, the numbers we just talked about before we move on to the defense uh last year for passing touchdowns opponents had 21 passing touchdowns kentucky only had 10 <laughs> <laughs> but, but weren't like three of them against florida <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean I remember Marco Wilson getting beat towards the corner of the end yeah. zone. There was a pass to Conrad. I don't remember whether there was a third one, but it was at least two. Right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so, yeah, so they, again, they only had eight for the rest of the year. That, <laughs> or, that we know of. It could be seven, yeah. Again, there's still some work to do and we need to be cognizant of that. So um yeah, I, I think really what we're hanging our hat on here is that Mullen is going to take the talent that Florida has and make it perform at the level that that people yeah. are accustomed to seeing it at. Now, you expect the in improvements in the strength and conditioning program and also with some of the other improvements that he's making in the program, that that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, I don't think Florida was as bad as four and seven last year. I don't think Kentucky was as good as seven and six last year. So even if you think Florida is maybe a six and six team, and, you know, I haven't really made up my mind in terms of where I think the Gators are going to finish, but even if you think Florida is a six and six team, they're probably better than Kentucky. Yeah. We'll move to the other side uh, of the ball right now. We talk about defense here, um, a defense that should be better, uh, and if it, that's where counting experience as well. Uh, ten starters back, uh, including nine of the top ten and fifteen of the top seventeen, are, are back for this Kentucky defense. So, uh, but you know, what type of experience are you bringing back? <laughs> that's the question when you start talking about experience. Uh, they have to do better in late in games. Uh, outscored 106 to 73 in the fourth quarter uh, last year of, uh, during the season. Uh, the defense allowed 42 points or more in three of the last five regular season games and lost every one of them. Yeah, you know, I mean, we talked about how Florida has struggled on defense, and certainly we saw it last year. The Gators gave up 222 points in the SEC, and Kentucky gave up 246. So so Kentucky's defense was worse than Florida's, and Florida's defense was not very good, at least from a Florida perspective. Mm -hmm. Sort of mid-tier, maybe 60th overall, but Kentucky was even worse. And, you know, like you said, Stoops comes from a defensive background, comes from being a defensive coordinator, so it's been kind of a surprise that he hasn't been able to put together a defense that's a little bit more complicated 
comprehensive, um, or at least just able to put together schemes that can slow down other teams. I mean, you know, Kentucky, I guess you had that stat earlier where when they score more than 35, they don't lose. But um, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of 30, 34 to 30 games <laughs> that they may be losing then because I do recall them being in a few shootouts in his time there. Um, the one thing I'll say, and with, with, all the, with all the returning starters coming back, and we noted this last year, is that their defensive backs are really tall and they're really and they're really rangy. And so somebody like Kadarius Tony is somebody who can really take advantage of that and took advantage of it last year. Um, you know, being able to get him on the outside shift. Um, somebody like Tyree Cleveland may have a little bit harder time against some of those taller DBs who can go up for jump balls and and uh, and, and fight them for him. But somebody like Tony should be able to get the kind of separation that you would see that you would want to see against some of those defensive backs. And, and it'll be interesting to see how Mullen decides to attack that. Yeah, because you know, the secondary does need to make some plays. Uh, they were the second worst pass defense in the SEC last year. So it makes you wonder if this is a chance Mullen can see the pass game going. But last year, Mississippi State still just kind of ran the ball crazy uh, on Kentucky last year. So uh, that they gave up um, more than 200 yards or more in every game last year uh, in the secondary. So, But the Mike Edwards, the safety, is the leading tackler he returns. Uh, this year, and uh, Darius West is a guy who can lay the wood back there too. Um, yeah, the corners they're physical, but they just don't do anything that necessarily stands out. Uh, of of Derek Beatty and Lonnie Johnson um, need some help in, in the pass rush if they go there too. Denzel Ware, Josh Allen, uh, the, the, their main playmakers uh, have thirty sacks on the season uh, last year. That defensive line did. Uh, but on a regular basis, that's where they just couldn't get anything. They were not consistent at all. They were second to last in the SEC in tackles for a loss. So if you look at probably why their pass defense was so bad, it worked in tandem. Uh, they weren't consistent enough up front, and the guys in, in, in the back end are just aren't athletic enough to make plays on their own. Yeah, well, if you look at it, Josh Allen and Jordan Jones were the guys really getting the tackles for loss along with Denzel Ware last year. Um, and so, you know, Ware's gone. And then you've got Allen and Jones at linebacker. And it's great when your linebackers are making plays like that. But at the same time, it is sort of indicative when your defensive line don't, doesn't have a whole lot of whole lot of uh, tackles for loss that it, it's it's indicative that there's an issue there. And and I think that's true. I mean, I just think that that's that's something that, uh, you know, that there there isn't the talent on the defensive line that you really need to compete in the SEC. I mean, he's running a 3-4. And even if you look at his starters, the average for the defensive line is, uh, is you know, 87.0 uh, for the 24-7 rating. So it's not a highly recruited defensive line. And I think it shows in terms of being able and, – and that's the first line. And so the second line is going to be even lower. And, and as you go, you know, they can't rotate in seven different guys like a team like Florida or other big boy SEC schools should be able to do because they just don't have the depth. And that's going to show up eventually – and if you can run and knock those guys back, then you can neutralize the linebackers. And that's really, I think, what happens in the second half is the linebackers get neutralized as the defensive line gets tired, and then you can't get any pressure on the quarterback. And that's really what happened last year where Del Rio came in and certainly looked a lot better than, than Franks did in the game. Um, but I also think a lot of that had to do with Florida held the ball for a really long time, was able to tire out the Kentucky defense, and then eventually take, take advantage of some of the mental mistakes that were made. Yeah, looking at this defense, the key is going to be they need, they need to create some turnovers. Um, first half of the season last year, forced 13 turnovers in the first five games, and they went four and one. And Florida being those one of those you know, that being the one loss, so 
So you could say they could, you know, could have, should have, would have been five and zero. Uh, but the last eight games of the season, only five takeaways, and four of them came against Vanderbilt. So uh, they uh, failed to come up with a turnover in the five of the last seven games. Um, so that's it. You know, you can definitely see what helped so much at the beginning of the season and how it fell apart toward the end of the season. Turnovers were a huge factor in their defense and any kind of success they were having. Yeah, well, and that sort of goes to what we talked about with depth, right? I mean, that as the depth gets, as the players get tired, as you start to get injuries, and you don't have people who can who can, can who can put pressure on the quarterback to make them throw it up for interceptions, who can hit somebody from behind and get the strip, um, those sorts of things. You know, all of a sudden, then the turnovers don't come, and it's really, you know, turnovers are great. And they do usually tell the story from game to game, but we talk a lot on here about process. And so if, if the turnovers are part of being able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback, then it's, then it's great. If they're sort of fluky <laughs> to, to start out with and you're relying on them in order to stop the opposition, then that's a problem. And so, you know, that I think is, is what you see with Kentucky where the defense, when it gets turnovers is able to get off the field, but when it doesn't is not able to get off the field. And we definitely saw that in the game against Florida last year that just, you know, once Franks was gone, you know, they got Del Rio off the field on the one interception on the first drive he came in. But after that, they could not get Florida off the field and it cost them the game. Ah, well, that's the uh, offense and defense kind of preview for Kentucky. Anything else stick out about Kentucky when we're going through all their uh, pre- their other preseason looks right now? No, I mean it's interesting because the 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 biggest thing for this game is just you know at some point you figure that there will be a fluke and they have to win one. And and you wonder what it is. I mean, the Kentucky media ends up just picking every year. That way they'll look. That way they'll feel like they can look. They look smart if they happen to be right. <laughs> but you know, I, I think I, I mean, Florida is going to be jacked for this game because it's the first SEC game of the year. It's at home. The crowd is still going to be nuts even after the first one, especially if the first game looks really good. Um, you know, we've we've all we've all seen the enthusiasm for people with Dan Mullen at head coach. It's not going to wane after a game with Charleston Southern, and so uh, this one's going to be a tough one for Kentucky. Yeah, well, be a, it would be a good chance for Florida to start two and zero. You know, get started on the uh, on the right foot of the season, and you don't want to be the first coach to lose to Kentucky <laughs> quite some time. That would not be a a good look and a good start uh, for the Dan Mullen career at Florida. But with all things said, you know, this is a game Florida should win, much like they have been uh, recently. You know, we've had some really great games, real between Florida and Kentucky. You go back to some games in the swamp where you know Driscoll and Demarcus Robinson have to hook up in overtime, and you had the blowout, like you mentioned earlier, with Luke Del Rio uh, being you know, probably it was definitely the best game of his career uh, by by far, and when he just lit Kentucky up in the swamp uh, a couple seasons ago. Uh, but you know, there's just been some knockdown dragouts lately, and then one of the just oddest games you'll ever see last year's game. Yeah, and you know, there's been a lot of talk, and I don't know how much stock I put into it. That the players really need confidence. I mean, I feel like once you get to this level of being this kind of an elite athlete, that confidence is probably overrated. But at the same time, if there is if there is something to that, um, you know, Florida is going to be building confidence coming in here, and if they can build, if the Charleston Southern game is 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 a fun filled blowout, and then the Kentucky game can follow suit in the same fashion, then certainly heading into some of the tougher games of the year, they will be, uh, you know, from a confidence perspective, they'll be riding pretty high. Absolutely, absolutely. Will anything else before we uh, let this Kentucky preview go? No, I don't think so, man. 
All right. All right. Check, uh, be sure to check out the next preview, Colorado State, uh, the Jim McElwain Bowl, Will. So uh, there we go. That, that'll be uh, one to kind of look forward to just as the – I think the side storyline is more interesting than the uh, actual game itself uh, there. But remember, you can find Will on Twitter, Will Miles on Twitter, at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.